What are the barriers to happiness? How do we heal? How do we maximize our potential? How do we remember who we are? How can we be of service to the world? Join the World Happiness Fest, the largest form of happiness and well-being in the world. Visit us at www.worldhappiness.foundation. We are realizing a world with freedom, consciousness, and happiness for all. Imagine traveling to China uh, when you are 32, and then you travel to China 22 times, or traveling to Vietnam, the Philippines, building the global team, and you end up having 3,000 marketeers around the world. Every single day was an opportunity to learn. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired, and please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am just delighted to welcome Luis Gallardo to the My Fourth Act podcast. Luis is the former Global Chief Marketing Officer for Deloitte. He has been an advisor to CEOs, thought leaders, Nobel laureates, political and institutional game changers on strategic personal positioning and brand building. Sometime after leaving Deloitte, Luis founded the World Happiness Foundation and World Happiness Fest. He is the author of Happitalism and the Exponentials of Happiness. And he is also the director of the Gross Global Happiness Program at the United Nations University for Peace in Costa Rica. So listeners, you can already tell we're going to talk a little bit about happiness with Luis. But above all, Luis is a seeker and a connector of humans and ideas. And I cannot think of having a better conversation partner. Welcome, Luis. Thank you so much, Hakim. I'm so happy being here and talking about whatever you want. <laughs> I love that open invitation, so let's jump in. In every podcast with every guest, I, I love to start with a question about your thoughts and dreams when you were a boy growing up. Uh, so when you were a boy, you grew up in Spain, I believe. Who did you think you would be when you grew up? Yeah, I love the question because uh, for some reason, from very early age, I always wanted to be a citizen of the world. Mm -hmm. So that was always my answer. I mean, where where you want to be? I want to be a citizen of the world. Um, and I feel that I'm getting close, very close to that. <laughs> But I didn't, um, I, I always knew as well that I, I was very, very curious to understand how things work. And, and why people actually were angry. Uh, it, I, that was something that from very early age was like, I mean, why are all these people so angry all the time? Mm -hmm. So I think that I wanted to be, yeah, that, that kind of seeker that you described at the beginning, but especially a citizen, a citizen of the world. Well, I want to do a little reality check. You know, when mommy and, and daddy asks us, well, What do you want to be when you grow up? Did you actually say, I want to be a citizen of the world? Did you actually, did, were those words in your consciousness? 
I th yes, I think so. And I still remember, for some reason, that citizen of the world is being with me all the time. I remember, mm -hmm. then I study uh, sociology, political science, and I remember yeah. that I was um, um, basically at the genesis of many political parties. Mm -hmm. I still remember one conversation by the members of that political party talking about passports. And they were saying, well, we should have a an international passport. And my mm -hmm. mind was like, why should we have a passport at all? Yeah. We are all citizens of the world. So in my mind, it was like, then I remember another conversation about an economist that was saying, well, uh, currencies, euro, dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, that was when the peseta and the Deutschmark were going to disappear mm -hmm. into getting into euros. And I still remember that in front of so many people, I asked the question, why don't we have one single currency around yeah. the world? And the whole room was laughing at me. Yeah. The whole room. It was like, wow. I mean, how, how is this possible? So I don't know. I think in, in my subconscious somehow, the, uh, uh, th that was in my mind. Why do we need so much complexity? Well, I remember as, as a German man, how <laughs> traumatic it was for many Germans when the Deutschmark disappeared. And since you talk about citizen of the world, I have a hunch that part of your own journey and mine is that as we get older, our understanding what the world actually is or means keeps changing, right? And keeps deepening and we're discovering more things around that. Uh, so what's your perception of the world today? Let's just go there. <laughs> since you brought it up. Oh my goodness, it's so interesting. It's so complex. Um, I mean, I, I truly believe that we are the universe. Mm -hmm. We as individuals, we are everything and we are the universe. So what we see today is the reflection of who we are individually put together. So if we see a mess, it's because we all are really <laughs> a mess. So that, that's the way I, I, I look at things. It's like, okay, is this really a mess? Why? And then I look at the person and I say, okay, how messy this person is. Mm -hmm. and, and then I try to understand. So the way I see the world today is, is, is very challenging. It's systemic. Yes. Everything is interconnected. There are more opportunities today than ever before to make a profound change in the positive and the negative. Yeah. Uh, there is so much technology in so many ways that we can create vaccines yeah. in, in a few weeks uh, with technology that was created 10 years ago. And, and I feel that the way I see this is challenging and it's complex. Um, but really depends. Now being in Spain doing this interview because I had to travel uh, because of, of my father, and you know that uh, yes. he has passed. Um, it's amazing to see all people and people that I uh, I know for many years how because of the pandemic and um, being isolated have completely collapsed uh, in their thinking. And they talk about conspiracy theories, for example, and they yeah. truly believe and they don't want to believe anything else. And that's been accelerated by living in isolation. 
So yeah, I would say I see the world complex, challenging, but with so much uh, hope. Well, we're going to get back to the world, but one reason I wanted to have this fourth act conversation with you is my sense of you or my story about Luis is that Luis had one kind of life for a while, and then he stepped off the cliff and he dove into a completely different wild world. And what you're just talking about is alluding to that already. So that contrast interests me because it takes courage to step into a different world. So if I were to paint the picture of your first world, I, as I see it, and I could be completely wrong, I mentioned that you were with Deloitte in a very senior role. You've been with other companies in senior marketing and branding roles. In my mind, I envision a glossy, fast-paced, exciting, but probably also pretty stressful life. Um, and you were in that world for a while. So when you think back, what are some things that genuinely excited you? And if you have a moment or two that stand out, that would be great. And if you think of moments where you went, why the hell am I doing this? Uh, this is insane. It would be wonderful to hear both sides of that experience. Yeah, just just by, li by, by listening to the question, I get excited because, <laughs> <laughs> because I still remember when... I was an entrepreneur. Deloitte was my client in Spain. Suddenly, um, uh, the CEO and uh, and 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 this, the former uh, communications director there offered me to join full time, and they actually offered me to bring my clients because they really want wanted me to basically evolve within the mm. company. And and just a few months later. When I say yes, the whole industry collapsed. Uh, Arthur Anderson collapsed, Enron, Worldcom. There was a, the probably the biggest, one of the biggest um, reputational issues and, and crisis in so mm -hmm. many ways. And so many people learn about reputation because of what happened there. And just a few months later, I was living in New York because what we did, the job what we did in Spain was sound for the global chairman and the global CEO. And they say, guys, you are doing amazing. You, you should be running this company from a marketing branding point of view worldwide. And I stayed that, in that position for 12 years. So, But they, everything moved so fast from being an entrepreneur, being at Deloitte, Spain, moving to New York, having my first uh, kid, uh, second kid, living in Manhattan, traveling the world for uh, and, and changing my passport three times, one, 175 countries, that the, the way I look at that, honestly, it wasn't stressful at all. It was mm. so beautiful. It was it was a playground because uh, my, one of my heroes was Philip Kotler, a yes. father of modern marketing. And suddenly what the global CEO was telling me, build the marketing book for this company. And I was like, I can't believe this. I mean, I can't believe that being 31, you are being offered to build the marketing book for one multinational. So everything was, ex was exciting. And every time I, I was going to the office, uh, to the CEO office, and the, um, and the second in command, uh, in this case, uh, Jerry Limon, who was the vice president of clients and markets, he, they saw my excitement. And they really acknowledge that. And they say, wow, Luis, I mean, 
we are super happy that you were here. And, and, and everybody was 60 years old, I was 31. I didn't get it. And I say, what am I doing here? I mean, it's too early for me. And they say, that's what we need. We need exactly what you are bringing here. The energy to travel the world nonstop for 10 years. So do it and change your passport three times. <laughs> <laughs> and then I changed the CEO three times as well, the global CEO. But honestly, when I look back, I don't feel a stress, any, mm. any, any kind of minimum of stress. Everything was, imagine traveling to China. Uh, when you are 32 and then you travel to China 22 times or traveling to Vietnam, the Philippines, building the global team and you end up having 3,000 marketeers around the world. Every single day was an opportunity to learn and that's the way I took it. So it was pretty good. <laughs> well, what, what strikes me is I, I love the metaphor of you were given a playground at 31 but the you part is that you are ready to play in the playground. And the gift you brought to Deloitte is your um, exuberance and enthusiasm where the people that were powerful and could have been your parents said, we want you to play in this playground. Yeah. Can we play with that metaphor some more? Because I have a hunch that all of us at different stages in our lives are presented with playgrounds that we either enter or don't, or that we visit with enthusiasm or not, or we choose to learn or not, because you talked about learning. Um, what other playgrounds have shown up in your life? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Deloitte 12 years playground was a huge playground. Yes. <laughs> that was, because it was the world. <laughs> Yes. You, I was traveling to, just I remember traveling to Italy and meeting in Italy with the CEO of Deloitte uh, there in Rome. And it was like, and we were talking about uh, marketing, reputation, communications, branding, making an impact, and so on. So that playground was huge. But you know, I had another, very, two more mm -hmm. super important playgrounds for me before. Uh, one of them was be, being an, an international observer for the United Nations in after war. Wow. So that was a huge break mm -hmm. because I, what I did, I mean, I basically studied sociology, political science, international relations, and then an MA on conflict, resolu conflict resolution and peace. Yeah. And right after that, I joined the, this group of international observers that go uh, to countries after conflicts uh, and bring democracy, democracy to those countries. Huge playground. But in that case, that was where when I realized that between conflict and peace, there is diplomacy. Mm -hmm. But the diplomats that I met there were not me when I grew up. So I met so many people there that were not, go from my perspective, were not going to make an impact mm -hmm. in their lives. Yeah. Because they were already uh, too pessimistic. Mm -hmm. I mean, for them, they were there just because they had to be. And I was there because I really wanted to be, and I really wanted uh, to make a positive impact. And I realized that all my energy there was incredible. 
And you know, when I realized that that wasn't my playground, when my partner and me in Bosnia, uh, when we went there for the first election, we were the couple because you are organizing in groups of two and then you have the driver and the translator. My partner and I were the couple uh, who got the most certifications of any other international observers in those elections. And I say, how is this possible? I mean, we didn't go that fast. I mean, we went to many, many schools. We trained many majors, but we were not super fast. And we were the couple that did the most. Mm. That brought me a lot. I mean, that brought me like, this is not possible. I mean, there should be somebody else because mm -hmm. I'm only 25 here. Wow. And I and I got this. No, I, it didn't work for me. So after that is when I say, I'm not sure that being a diplomat in Spain is going to is gonna be my job. Uh, and it's going to be the way I make a difference. But that was a huge playground. And then the first playground that really determines who I am today is when I was... Um, a handball player, you know, handball in Europe. Of course. Uh, and I was a handball player and I became a handball coach when I was 14 years mm. old. So I was coaching eight years old kids. And then, and I stay as a handball coach for more than 12, 14 years. And, that, and, and I went through the process of becoming a national handball coach for Spain. And and that gave me so much perspective because that's when I learned how important it was um, to create teams, to nurture teams, to have individual goals, collective goals. How do you win? How do you lose? How do you play? And that was an amazing playground. So I would say that coaching sports, competitive sports, mm -hmm. uh, the playground of conflict resolution on the ground, and then the whole corporate world, they, those are my, my three big playgrounds. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. Those are three pretty cool playgrounds, Luis. <laughs> the thought I had as you're talking about them, because I, I sense your enthusiasm and also sense how each brought different sorts of learning. But we're looking at it, you know, in hindsight now. But the question always is, did you enjoy it in a similar way while you're in it? Or is there a deeper appreciation as you look back? No, I really enjoy it. I enjoy every second. And yeah, I, I mean, for some reason, and this is something that I, and you know me, and, and we have many friends and we many people that they don't know what they do in their life. Yeah. They don't know what is their purpose because they relate purpose to doing. Uh, when you relate purpose to being, oh my goodness, I've been everything and every minute in all those playgrounds. 
and I enjoyed so much. And, and people gave me so many opportunities and gifts. Because actually between all, all those three playgrounds, then I play other smaller playgrounds in parallel. Mm-hmm. So, for example, between corporate and uh, <laughs> international relations, I was a journalist for eight years. I have to laugh because you're such an <laughs> underachiever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, being a journalist, you know what it is. is exploring, is yes. is talking to people. Yeah. So actually, when we talk about the stage I'm in now, is so related to what I did as a journalist. Yeah. In, for entrepreneur in this case my focus was businesses and i was interviewing all the gurus in the world are on business management and Rosabel Moskanter, gary hamel eh, Edward de bono all the all the number ones eh, i had the list and i was going one by one interviewing them reading the books and writing about them that was a huge playground as well um but the way i remember it is the same way I was living it. I was loving it. I was. I, I still remember when I was going to call um, Edward de Bono. Yeah. Uh, and and I was getting ready for that interview, and I was excited because I read the book and it was new for me. So yeah. I don't know. For some reason, I'm doing always things that are new, that are that are farther to my capabilities. So mm-hmm. it's like I'm doing things that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so and then I learn as I do them. What well, key word for this conversation clearly is curiosity and learning. Uh, many people, and, and you are so much more than this, so I, I don't want to label you as the happiness guy because I know there's much more to your curiosity. But for people who don't know you and listening, you know, at some point you helped organize the first major global happiness event here in, in Miami. It was an extraordinary experience. You have a foundation behind this work. You have organized huge global happiness events all over the world, a combination of virtual and what you call agoras, live events in cities all over the world. It's pretty insane to do that kind of stuff, but you have been the leader of that. And as part of it, you've had a chance to speak with pretty much every person on the planet who does happiness research. Mm-hmm. And an adjacent research because it's connected to all sorts of other deeper spirituality and understanding around life. So I want to jump into that in many different ways. But first thing, was there a moment or a period in or a period of time when you went, I want to find out more about happiness? I want to find out about the research. Like, how did you tap into that? Yeah, this is a great question. And um, and I've been if I contemplate the question and I think about it, um, it all goes back to the thesis mm-hmm. that I wrote for my master's degree in Lancaster University at Richardson Institute. Mm-hmm. Because after I'm, I finished college, I went, I did a master's uh, and an, an MA on conflict resolution and uh, and peace studies. Um, so John, uh, Johan Galton who is the father, kind of the father of peace studies, it was really my hero. And, and I still remember I went to meet him in London when I was studying in Lancaster because he's a Swedish guy and he came to talk. And I, I went there to meet him. And what I learned from Johan jo, jo, uh, Galton is the concept of positive 
piece. Um, now we talk about, about positive psychology and now we talk about positive many things. But when I learn about the concept of positive peace, I say, oh, there is a negative piece. What is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I explore that. And my thesis was all about the fulfillment of personal identity to manage conflict resolution. So I went deep into personal identity and I explored. And actually, when you go deep into personal identity, you realize that most of it is about is psychological. And you study Carl Jung and you study all these psychologies uh, that go into our consciousness. But I was yeah. doing, but I was doing a, a master's in peace studies related to the United Nations. And normally when you think that, you are thinking about international law, you are thinking about processes, mm-hmm. you are thinking about uh, regulations. And I went deeper into who we are and what is our identity. And then I learned from Johan Galton around positive peace. Well, but, so, but, here, but here's, I, I want to play devil's advocate. Okay. Because I have a conflict resolution background. I've done a lot of peace work, uh, positive psychology. For, to me, that's safer language than something as bold as happiness. Because, you know, let me just test this, because when when I've told people that I've I've been involved with some of the happiness people, first thing they say, well, you can't be happy all the time. You know, happiness is overrated. You know, uh, I want to focus on other stuff. Like, why is happiness so important? But somehow you went from positive peace to happiness. And I'm sure people say those stuff, those things to you, right? Um, So what is it? Why does happiness matter? Yeah, the, and this is this is where I bring my marketing. Uh, bring it, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because okay, um, I go back to the Lloyd. Okay. Why? Why did I stay in that position for twelve years, changing mm-hmm. the global CEO four times? Because I got to the right word, and the right word for. That company was risk mm-hmm. versus reputation. Mm-hmm. So the only way I was able to get millions and millions of dollars on budget for that company was because I tapped into the, the keyword. Mm-hmm. And the keyword, we, don't, we are adverse to risk. And then the positive word is how do we build our reputation? Mm-hmm. And then when you go deeper into reputation, then you understand that you have to spend money on marketing and communications. So at some point when I left um, all these peace, conflict resolution world to get into the corporate world, I got into so much conflict between partners, between mm-hmm. uh, staff, and I was a, and I, and I am a community builder. Because I know how to play with teams. I I I'm a, I, I love teamwork. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm evolving into synarchy. We love to talk about synarchy. Uh, so when you have that in mind, you realize that at the corporate world, happiness is called satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, and engagement. And then you talk about client satisfaction. And then you talk about uh, how engaged you are. And those words uh, mean nothing. When you they go mean absolutely nothing. I hear them all the time. <laughs> so, so I remember 
uh, that we were creating the one of the biggest partners meetings in the United States for the U.S. partners, more than 5,000. And we invited, and we were creating an agenda. And I um, and I called Tony Haas from Sapos. He just mm-hmm. passed, by the way. I'm sorry about that. Um, and he, he, he was delivering happiness through buying shoes. And then I saw uh, so many other companies trying to play with the word happiness. And I went deeper into what's going on here. Yeah. And I said, well, actually, there is a lot going on. Yeah. And I discovered that there was a lot going on. And that was 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I met uh, Jamie Elin, mm-hmm. uh, in the end, was the catalyst to create the Happiness Day, uh, March 20th. Uh, but would you the, would you explain what that is? Because not every listener will know what you just referenced. Yeah, actually, a Happiness Day, International Happiness Day, is a formal kind of um, a, one of those days that the United Nations establish to remember and celebrate things. So there are days for everything, but there was not a day for happiness. Amazingly, <laughs> so actually, I still remember I was at Deloitte and I I was creating systems because in my mind I I love uh, system thinking, and and this guy Jamie was like all about being an orphan uh, from India and say well we need we need to create something that actually works for the world, and at some point what the United Nations does is that when you have three four countries supporting one resolution then it goes into the the assembly before there's a lot of lobby and if countries agree then you create a resolution so there are now two resolutions one that states happiness as the international day march 20th and a second super important resolution and this is now kind of the the seed for the world happiness foundation to support and basically become a steward, which is creating new paradigms for human progress and happiness and build and well-being being the essence of that. So imagine, I mean, having those resolutions give a lot of yeah. opportunity and power so many people. So basically, I started connecting dots, but the reality is that I use my marketing hat and say, okay, mm-hmm. what is the word? What is the word? The, the world needs now. And I went through many of them. And, and one of them could be positive peace. It could be yeah. peace. It could be joy. It could be bliss. It could be compassion. There are so many. But I say, no, actually it's happiness. Because this is ultimately an un- a universal world. Mm-hmm. And I tested with all my network. So I went back to my network a. Uh, uh, not just Deloitte, but actually I work, I work too for WBP and Jana Rubicon. There is a huge network there uh, of marketing and public relations people. And I check, okay, w- w- what is this war? Why, why is this universal? And we went to the root and we understood that actually everybody understands because not everybody understands right. the same thing, but everybody knows that in the end, we want to achieve a state of well-being. We want to achieve a state that is better, a bit better than it was before. And I and I call this happiness. And then we explain it. But and that's why now there is a science of happiness. And it's a whole bunch of 
uh, researchers around the world completely committed to the science of yes. happiness and well-being. So then when you see that, it's like, okay, this is serious. So how do you how do you evolve this? And how we how do we get to the key word that I feel the world needs most? So you got serious about happiness. I love that. <laughs> uh, and I it really makes sense when you said that that on a cellular level, we all know what it is, even if we don't experience it enough. But lay on top of it the fact that once you embarked on this journey, you you just mentioned all the research. Um, there's lots of thinkers, there's lots of research, lots of explanations about why we are or aren't happy. Um, I'm going to ask you a really unfair question, but if you think of a conversation or two with one of these famous researchers and go, when she said that, or when he said that, that really clicked with me. Like what are the one or two conversations that stand out? And I know you're immediately excluding others. And it's not a fair question, but I'm curious. This very moment, it's evening time in Spain. Like what comes to mind? Yeah. One was with Deepa Chopra. Mm-hmm. And he was in a really simple way, define joy and happiness. And he said, basically, joy is a state of being. Happiness is a state of mind. Many people don't agree with that, but it's but it helps so much to really understand that happiness is in your mind. Mm-hmm. But actually, then you have to define mind. Okay, and then if we get into the cellular level of mind and the energetic level of mind, you are talking about the universe as well. So in the end. What I learned from that conversation is that we are we just have to put words to think to things that don't have that are no words. Yeah. Their states uh, is energy. So it's so difficult to define all this space. That's why I'm so excited about this space, because it's difficult. Because it's like it's very, very complex because it's is energy. And how can you call energy? It's so difficult. But I like, though, I like a lot because it helps a lot of people to define happiness and joy as states. Because then, okay, if it's a state, how do I achieve that state? And then you can have practical tools. So I think that conversation was beautiful. Well, Uh, and and, and I'm thinking of it's a stereotype, I'm going to say it anyway. Sometimes... It's beautiful to just live in the question without having to find the answer, but the question alone helps us experience new thoughts, new states, new ways of being, and and that journey never ever ends, right? Yeah. Yes, it, that's that's um, that's beautiful, and that reminds me another conversation in this okay. case. Go for it with a scientist. Um, Sonia Lubomirsky, everybody knows her. Say the name again slowly. Sonia Lubomirsky. Sonia Lubomirsky, yes. I I remember hearing her speak, yes. (laughs) So basically, she she came out with this pie Mm -hmm. where she says that happiness is determined 50% by our genes, 40% by our behavior, and 10% by the conditions around us. 
And that pie has created so much debate. It pissed off a lot of people, that pie. <laughs> yes. But you know, I mean, at some point you have to put a stick on the ground and say, okay, let's debate. Let's yeah. debate. But now that I've been talking a lot to geneticists uh, and, and actually people who get into the plasticity of our genoma, everybody say, well, this is plastic. This change all the time. It's called epigenetics. It's called you can you can actually bring whatever genes you want to your uh, to your uh, to your future family because you can change it while you are living. Mm. That means um, that maybe it's not fifty percent, maybe it's twenty percent, because then your behavior can be much. I, I think you're just rewriting Sonia Lubomirsky here. <laughs> yeah, but you know, she's the one that wrote about, I mean, the, the beauty of being happy. And then the, her last, the last research is about don't chase happiness because it's going to make you very unhappy. Yeah. So this is the beauty of this space. It's like everybody's building it. And, I, and this is another playground because it's, everybody's playing. Well, I hope that... Uh, as I'm listening to you and our listeners hear you, uh, your curiosity is infectious. I want to jump for a moment to you. You painted your lifestyle with Deloitte beautifully for us. My sense of your current lifestyle is this, and I, if I'm wrong, please correct me. I happen to know your lovely wife, Maggie. You have two beautiful sons. You live outside of Miami, but I see you as this, um, as you, to use the language, community builder. Sometimes you do it virtually, but I see you flipping all over the world, a little impaired because of COVID. Um, but you fly around, you create stuff, you create events, you bring people together, you talk to luminaries in the space. Um, you do this without the fat Deloitte paycheck. <laughs> so <laughs> so just, the, just the mechanics of it are different. Uh, and my hunch is, on the surface, that looks just amazing, but I also think you probably couldn't do it without the support and indulgence of your family to allow you to, to play in this new playground. So give me a sense of how your family structure and all of that connects to you being this global explorer. Oh, wow, yes. Well, I've been married to my wife for 25 years. Uh, and something that, uh, that is coming with both of us together is that, uh, I mean, we love each other, but we give us a space. Mm-hmm. I mean, we trust each other so much that uh, we are giving we are giving each other space all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, something so interesting is that um, if I think of people who are humble, spiritual and making a difference that's Maggie so actually she, she doesn't have to talk about it yeah at all. and and that's so interesting because then we talk to so many people who want to talk about things yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so relaxing actually being with somebody who is already and doesn't have to talk about anything because it's already there. So th- I love it. And it's like, 
I, I always feel like I'm a Kate flying and I have a, do you know, this kind of, you have a tissue, a mm -hmm. small, really thin. Yeah. A, and somebody is telling you sometimes, hey, you have to come back. You have to come back. So I think that thanks to that relationship, I feel that everybody's growing and now our kids are learning from it. Um, and actually, if I can share, this week has been so hard because uh, mm -hmm. my father passed um, and it was it was really, really hard. But, you know, it's been so... May I, may I just, for our listeners, say your father passed last week. So it's very recent. Yeah. And before you go, I, I go into what you're going to say is uh, give us a little bit of context about his age and how how quickly he passed. Yeah, he he was 75 and he was diagnosed with with a cancer. But at the hospital, as he was getting treatment, he got COVID. Yeah, uh, and in three months he basically passed. But the last. 15 days were especially important because my mother was allowed to be with him and then my brother and I were allowed to be with him the last days. But you know the process of death and as part of life, this is one of my key learnings. The second one, we, we were getting, because we were in the room, so many messages from people and we were reading those messages to him. Mm -hmm. And I was, oh my goodness, I was so amazed when I was reading my kids' messages. Mm. They were incredible. Yeah. So deep. And 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 that's the moment where you realize that somebody's gonna die and you have the time to say bye and, and the time to share what you feel with that person that really uh, makes you change your life. So and the whole process of going through this situation brought my kids mm. in, into this space. Yeah. And suddenly you say, well, I've been doing this now for six years. They don't care. They don't even want me to talk <laughs> about this, about happiness. It's like, what the hell is this? I mean, people want something different. It's like, okay. And suddenly they start sending these messages that are all about um connecting to the energy are all about a, another state of a living with your soul. A, they were talking about things that, a, I mean, few kids can talk about unless they really believe in it. So it was an eye opener. And that's kind of the, my relationship now with my wife and my kids is like, it's, it's incredible. I'm learning so much. Uh, and I and I feel very much supported. Well, as you're describing your kids, I was thinking, if you and Maggie are the kites who gave each other space to fly, but no one to bring you to the back, even if you don't talk about it, that's what your sons are learning from you too. You know, and uh, that's that's what you're embodying for your children. I'm getting emotional now, but it's a beautiful thing. Um. We're recording this conversation the night before you bury your dad. Um, the burial sounds really special and beautiful to me with a lot of thought put into it, since we're talking about the journey of life and happiness and transitions. Uh, what have you planned for tomorrow? 
Yeah, actually, this is um, this been my mother's uh, actually um, decision. It's beautiful. We are, we are gonna go to a forest in the middle of Spain, uh, in Toledo, and it's a forest of um, basically you are planting trees, uh, and and the goal is that uh, that forest is gonna grow and it's gonna. Uh, is gonna be the the force of uh, remember. So you remember, and then um, I love I love um, the concept of remembering who we are, mm-hmm. because it's not understanding who we are. It's remembering, mm-hmm. and when you remember who you are, you're in another state as well. So actually, what what we are gonna be doing tomorrow is 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 growing that. And and it's gonna be a really, really family oriented uh, uh, ceremony, and and I'm I feel really really powerful, uh, and and empowered now thinking that we are gonna be planting, that we are gonna be seeing green growing of uh, out of these ashes, and that that's gonna be a healing moment, um, uh, something that I really love is the concept of memories link to inspiration so normally uh, especially in christian uh, traditions you get into the memory it's like okay what do you remember and then you link that you you link that to god so we are orphans in many ways and uh, no i like the way that you have a memory of somebody uh, in this case everybody's going to have a memory of a time that they were with my father and my invitation for everybody is that transform that memory into an inspiration what does inspire you and then what are you going to do with this inspiration so moving from memories to inspiration i feel is is a healing is a healing uh, action and i and i think that's that's the way we are going to be framing the the funeral well spoken like a true citizen of the world luis <laughs> thank you um i want to leave you with just one more question um and I want to ask it. I'm going to give you two options for answering it. I always like to ask based on what you now, what you know now about life, and possibly in the middle of, you know, sending your dad off tomorrow. What words of wisdom would you say to young Luis? The other option would be: Is what words of wisdom would you say to your two sons, whether they listen or not? Is a whole other thing, right? Uh, well, in this case, do you mind if I choose the, the words of Rumi? No, yeah. Rumi forever. So, <laughs> please. Because he has a poem. It's called Ode 9-11. Uh-huh. And it's so beautiful. Um, so I can read it because actually this is the one we are going to be reading tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, on the day I die, when I'm being carried toward the grave, don't weep. Don't say, He's gone. He's gone. Death has nothing to do with going away. The sun sets and the moon sets, but they are not gone. Death is a coming together. The tomb likes, looks like a prison, but it's really released into union. The human seed goes down in the ground like a bucket into the wheel where Joseph is, it grows and comes up full of some 
and imagine beauty. Your mouth closes here and immediately opens with a shout of joy there. Thank you for that. If our listeners want to find out more about you, uh, where's the best place for them to find you in in in, in the ether? <laughs> well, they can go to my personal webpage, Gallardo, G A L A R D O dot world, mm-hmm. of the world <laughs> dot world, dot or world. to Happiness Foundation. Well, uh, in this case, um, World Happiness dot Foundation. So cool. Gallardo the World or World Happiness dot Foundation. I'll make sure that's that's on the My Fourth Act uh, website as well. Um, thank you for the honor of this conversation, and uh, may there be lots of open space tomorrow and lots of healing. Thank you. Thank you so much again. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao. What are the barriers to happiness? How do we heal? How do we maximize our potential? How do we remember who we are? How can we be of service to the world? Join the World Happiness Fest, the largest form of happiness and well-being in the world. Visit us at www.worldhappiness.foundation. We are realizing a world with freedom, consciousness, and happiness for all.